ID the Future, a podcast about evolution and intelligent design. Hello, I'm Tom Gilson. Today on ID the Future, we hear Casey Luskin, Associate Director of the Center for Science and Culture at the Discovery Institute, and a frequent podcast host here, sitting on the other side of the microphone. He's taking part in a debate with historian and philosopher Adam Shapiro. They're hosted by Justin Brierley on the popular British debate program, Unbelievable. And in it, we hear two views on the question, is intelligent design advancing? Decide for yourself which view has the greater evidence behind it. Because ID has strong arguments, it is persuading prominent people, and we've seen high-level converts to intelligent design, including faculty at top institutions, even including Nobel laureates. Over time, intelligent design has become a catchphrase, whether this is what the researchers within the field mean by it or not. It's become a catchphrase that people will use to talk about any view that can vaguely equate God and some kind of scientific view of looking at the universe. Hello, welcome along to another edition of the show. Really excited about my guests today. I'm joined by Casey Luskin and Adam Shapiro. We'll talk about our subject in a moment's time. If you're watching here on YouTube, though, we'd love you to like today's video, subscribe to the channel. Make sure to keep up to date with Unbelievable by also subscribing to our newsletter where you can get all the latest from the show. Well, today we're asking, is the intelligent design movement on the advance or in retreat. Uh, to debate the issues, I'm joined by Casey Luskin, an associate director at the Discovery Institute. He's also a scientist and attorney by background. He's an increasingly recognized voice in the area of intelligent design and editor of a new book, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith. Opposite Casey today is Adam Shapiro, a historian of science and religion. Adam is a critic of intelligent design theory and also a co-author of a recent book, a new book, uh, a new edition of Science and Religion, a very short introduction with Thomas Dixon. So today we'll be asking where the ID movement is uh, since it hit the headlines some 16 years ago with the famous or should I say infamous uh, Kitzmiller versus Dover school board trial which ruled against ID being taught in school but uh, has ID continued to make strides or been on the back foot since then and should people of faith be appealing to the complexity of life in order to make the case for a creator? All these and more questions will be discussed on the show today. Uh, so Casey and Adam, welcome along to the programme today. Um, let's start with you, Casey, um, both new to the show, but um, uh, tell us about the comprehensive guide to science and faith, because this is really the thing that, that made me want to bring you on in the first place. It's a, it's a, it's a very thick tome, isn't it? I've, <laughs> I've got it on my desk. It's propping up a, a book somewhere it's it's, very, it's it's quite a significant piece of work so tell us about it thanks yeah it makes a good paperweight no thank you so much <laughs> justin and thanks to adam for being here and being willing to have this conversation uh so yeah the comprehensive guide to science and faith is a book that i co-edited last year with joseph holden and william dembski Joseph Holden is a philosopher and not really associated with intelligent design. William Dembski is a person that probably many of your listeners and viewers have heard of. He's a mathematician and a philosopher and one of the intellectual founders of the intelligent design movement. The book was actually really organized by Joseph Holden when I was still knee-deep knee deep in my PhD in geology uh, in South Africa around probably the year 2018, 2019. And I had no time at that point to think about co-editing a book. But he said, let's do it when you're done with a PhD. And in the, in the interim, he kind of organized a lot of the, the contributors. In fact, I think many of the invitations to people to contribute were sent out 
when I was midair flying home from South Africa in March of 2020, trying to flee South Africa before their borders closed, just as the coronavirus hit. Wow. So mm. I didn't even get to be involved with some of the initial organization. But it's a great book that covers many topics on science and faith. It has a diverse collection of contributors. Some of them are ID related, some not. Um, I was very involved with organizing and editing many of the ID chapters with contributors from folks like Stephen Meyer, Jonathan Wells, Michael Behe, Douglas Axe, Gunter Beckley, Walter Bradley, Paul Nelson, Guillermo Gonzalez, Brian Miller, and a lot of great scientists and folks in the ID community. And it addresses common topics in intelligent design, like is intelligent design a scientific theory backed by evidence in fields like biology or physics? Um, are human beings unique? Uh, do we share a common ancestor with other species? And also topics that address sort of the, the science-religion dialogue, like has religion contributed positively to the development of science, or is this warfare uh, model of between science and religion the best way to look at it? So it really is a comprehensive guide. Uh, I think the chapters in the book are concise, yet packed with a lot of information that will help readers get up to speed on issues very quickly. So I think it'll be a very useful book. Mm. Uh, um, but having said all that, it's it's not just intelligent design focused, is it? I mean, you, you deal quite a lot with the sort of the history of science, you know, well before the intelligent design movement came into being in its in its modern form and so on. That's right. It's much broader than intelligent design. There are sections that deal with science and faith that deal with, you know, questions about the problem of evil again. These were organized, a lot of them, by Joseph Holden, a philosopher and theologian. So it's very broad. Intelligent design is part of it, but it does get into quite a few hot topics, like um, it takes an old earth Christian perspective, and so there's some articles that are looking at how you can reconcile an old earth with a Christian viewpoint, um, and, and, and those kinds of sort of hot-button topics yeah. that people like to think about. Yeah, great stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, and it's the comprehensive guide to science and faith, but very much with your perspective on it. Uh, obviously, it's, it's it comes obviously with the the sort of the stamp of the 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 scientific and theological perspective of, and as any book will inevitably, depending on who who writes it. So, I imagine if uh, uh, you know Adam writes the comprehensive guide to science and faith, it might go in different directions to you. And in a way, you've 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 not <laughs> written the comprehensive guide, but you've written a guide. Uh, it's science and religion in this case, a very short introduction. So the size of the book is somewhat different to uh, to Casey's one. But tell us, Adam, uh, um, yeah. a bit about yourself firstly, and and then and then about this new project, that this second edition of this book. Absolutely. Thank you, Justin. I, I'm really glad to have a chance to chat with you and to chat with Casey as well about these questions. Um, I think you're right that, that if, if Casey's new book is this, you know, it goes for comprehensive, the keywords, of course, in our title are very short, um, which may be a selling point for some readers, especially people who want to get, a, get their toes wet in this field and understand how it is that two things that seem like they have nothing to do with one another um, actually do interact and engage both historically and in the present uh, without necessarily investing in the amount of detail and, and richness of detail that that scholarship around the world has mm -hmm. provided for so long. Um, one of the difficulties with writing something called a very short introduction is the necessary uh, decision-making that goes into what do you include and what do you exclude. Fortunately for me, uh, my co-author Thomas Dixon published the first edition of this back in 2008, um, which is the core in, in, of the book, although we did quite a lot of work rewriting, adding new sections, and in some cases redacting and, and condensing some sections. Um, but it's also, I think, important to recognize that both Thomas and I are historians. And so our approach to this field 
Um, our training is in the history and philosophy of science. Our, our approach to this is not just to try to answer the question, science versus religion, which side is right? Um, as much as I know people sort of have an appetite for debate, often our question is to say, how did there come to be something that was seen as two different sides that were asking different questions, whether that was inevitable from the kinds of issues that they deal with or whether that was historically contingent. Uh, but also to say as historians that we don't just look at ideas, we look at how those ideas are embodied in the world. We look at the people who believe in them and talk about them. We look at the communities that act because of those ideas and we look at the people who are affected by those ideas regardless of whether they hold to them or not so to give you some examples of some of the things we include in the new edition uh, we talk a bit more about the history of medical missionaries and the role that science and religion both play in creating kind of the colonial and eventually post-colonial world in creating certain sort of exalted forms of knowledge, where sometimes science and religion are on the same side of an issue. Um, and those are, those are questions that we're still seeing happening today. Um, to some extent, the history of the debates over evolution was one of the places where we felt like we could actually condense a bit compared to the first edition. That could be because, as you alluded to at the outset, uh, the Dover-Kitzmiller trial, which had taken place just a few years before the first edition had come out, um, had really fascinated people and really focused a lot of attention on this question of evolution versus intelligent design, evolution versus other alternatives to evolution, um, or for that matter, theistic versus atheistic interpretations of evolution. We still talk about those issues, but we felt like there was perhaps more pressing issues going on right now um, that that needed mm -hmm. to, to get more attention sure. more attention than the first edition had done. Great. Well, well, that being said, happy to talk more about intelligent design. Well, absolutely, today. and and I, I appreciate you coming on to 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 kind of put the focus on intelligent design, even though that obviously isn't specifically the focus of of the book you've written there. Um, but but I will make sure to link from today's show so people can get hold of this second edition of uh, uh science and religion a very short introduction many years ago you'd have to go way back in the unbelievable archives I've, i have had thomas dixon on the show as well uh and again i think debating similar issues um at the time but um casey let's let's return to you and and again um perhaps a good place to start as we kind of start to unpack this question at the center of this is the intelligent design movement on the advance or in retreat is simply for you to first of all define what you understand intelligent design to be and give us a sense of what your view is on the current state of play in the field obviously you've got a vested interest in it to some extent but but let's hear you lay lay that out first and then we'll hear adam's perspective sure well uh vested or not i think that there is very good evidence that the intelligent design movement is on the advance, and I look forward to talking about this. Uh, so what is intelligent design? Uh, intelligent design is a scientific theory which holds that many aspects of life in the universe are best explained by an intelligent cause rather than undirected causes, such as natural selection. And I appreciate, Adam, that you're a historian. Uh, you're, my expertise is certainly not in your area, so I don't want to take this too far into the weeds of the science, but I do think it's important for us to have a basic sketch of intelligent design arguments so that our listeners can know what we're talking about. So here's how the, the argument for intelligent design works. And I think that this is one of the reasons why intelligent design is on the advance is because intelligent design has a very powerful and persuasive argument. So intelligent design is based upon our observations from nature and the world around us, that when intelligent agents act, 
they create high levels of what we call complex and specified information, or CSI for short. Um, information is basically a reduction in uncertainty. So ex for example, if I were to tell you that there's water falling from the sky, that would give you information that reduces your uncertainty about what the weather might be outside. So what is CSI, or complex and specified information? Well, something is complex if it is unlikely, and it's specified if it matches an independent pattern. So some examples of CSI would be language or code. So for example, the words that are coming out of my mouth right now uh, represent a very unlikely series of vibrations in sound molecules. That means that they are complex, yet they represent a pattern that matches what we all recognize to be sounds that conform to the English language. So we would recognize that these sounds are intelligently designed, or at least I hope they are. Uh, so. So what ID theorists do is they make a hypothesis. They use the scientific method that we see in every biology textbook, observation, hypothesis, experiment, conclusion. They make a hypothesis that if a natural structure was designed, it will contain high CSI, and we can test for high CSI through experiments and other forms of scientific investigations. As one of quite a few examples, uh, protein scientist Douglas Axe published mutational sensitivity tests in the Journal of Molecular Biology, which were funded by Discovery Institute, by the way, the, his research, which showed that the likelihood of a chance sequence of amino acids forming a functional beta-lactamase enzyme in E. coli was less than 10 to the 74th power. That means that beta-lactamase enzymes have an amino acid sequence that is very rare, meaning it's, it's unlikely, it's complex, but also highly specified to be able to destroy the beta-lactam ring that's found in many antibiotics. And this allows these bacteria to survive antibiotics like penicillin. So to give you a sense of why such CSI is beyond natural processes, there have been only 10 to the 40th organisms that have lived on Earth in its entire four and a half billion year history. So if we grant the totally unreasonably generous assumption that every single organism that, have ever, that has ever lived has been gifted with a newly random sequence of 150 amino acids that can produce a genuinely novel protein, we would still be some 10 to the 34th trial short of being able to create a functional, stable beta-lactamase enzyme. So when we find high CSI like this in nature, we are justifying the concluding design. There's both a positive argument for design and a negative argument that natural causes are not up to the task. And the positive argument comes from finding in nature the kind of information and complexity, which in our experience only comes from intelligence. And of course, our conclusion of design is held scientifically. We hold it tentatively, subject to future investigations. And maybe it'll be overturned. Maybe it'll turn out to be wrong. So we hold the conclusion tentatively. But sort of to, to boil the ID argument down into one you know, quick snippet. I would say that the past 50 years of biological research have shown that life is fundamentally based upon a vast amount of complex and specified information encoded in a biochemical language in our DNA, a computer-like system of commands and codes that processes the information in the DNA, and then the result of that information processing is irreducibly complex molecular machines and multi-machine systems. But where in our experience do things like complex and specified information programming code and machine-like structures come from. They have only one known source, and that's intelligence. So again, we have a positive argument for design based upon finding in nature the kind of information and complexity which in our experience comes from intelligence. And I'll make a couple brief points that I'll elaborate later in the conversation, but ID, the, because ID has strong arguments, it is persuading prominent people, and we've seen high-level converts to intelligent design, including faculty at top institutions, even including Nobel laureates, like Brian Josephson, a physicist at Cambridge University, who said that far from being an unscientific claim, intelligent design is valid science, and a number of other converts maybe we can talk about. Um, I could go on and on like this, but we have 
We have scientists that are contacting us at Discovery Institute from all over the world on a regular basis saying that they support intelligent design. It keeps us very busy doing Zoom chats with newly discovered scientists coming out of the woodwork expressing their support of ID. And a huge amount of our time is consumed with sort of fostering this network of ID-friendly scientists around the world, as well as the small army of now over 600 uh, students that have graduated from our annual summer seminar on intelligent design. And that includes many ID-friendly PhD students, postdocs, and junior faculty that have gone through the program and are now pursuing careers doing ID research. So there's a great, and we can talk about this more, but there's a mm. very um, exciting and active ID research program that is publishing papers in peer-reviewed journals and showing that ID can be used as a heuristic to create testable predictions in the laboratory that can guide scientific discovery. So there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, in addition, yeah. I think ID is in advance because naturalistic models of evolution are in retreat. We can, we can talk about all this in more detail. Uh, well, thank you. That's been very comprehensive, just as the book is <laughs> on the, when it comes to the subject of ID. Um, <laughs> and I'd be fascinated to talk about the converts, as, as you describe them, a bit later on, because I think that's, that, that would be very interesting uh, to, to, to see who, who's coming out of the woodwork and um, obviously, you know, that there have been claims that it's been very difficult for people to be open if they do are sympathetic to ID in in the acad in academia and so on. But um, we'll, we'll maybe come back to that. Adam, let, let me give you a chance, though, to sort of lay out your your perspective on yeah. all this. So firstly, whether you broadly agree or not with the, the way in which intelligent design has been represented there and how, how you generally tend to respond to it as a, as a movement. Sure. Well, so. As I had said previously, my, my background into this is, is as a historian and philosopher of science. And um, a lot of my own academic research has been on the history of ideas about how religious interpretations of evolution or non-evolution um, have played out in the public. And so I want to just to to set out some dis some lines of distinction, I think, at first, because there are lots of people who will say that they believe in both God and evolution. And is that the same thing as believing in an intelligent design? Some people might say yes, and some people might not say yes. It depends on what they mean by intelligent design. Casey's given you a couple of different, I think, are both what he would call arguments for intelligent design, and in some ways that means also different ways of identifying what intelligent design is. When you talk about there being both positive and negative arguments, um, somebody who says, I believe that nature shows me the handiwork of God, um, may or may not necessarily agree with the kinds of negative argumentation that some of your co your colleagues, Casey, have put forward. But they would say that in nature, they see whether through scientific analysis or through their own sort of spiritual experience or through their own emotional reaction to the nature around them, uh, that they feel that there is God. I don't want to say that the only alternative to intelligent design is an atheistic vision of evolution. There are plenty of atheists who believe in evolution, uh, but clearly there are also plenty of people who find points of overlap or points of reconciliation between the two. I think that what has happened over time, and I think this is something that, that Casey will might, might be willing to agree to, is that over time, intelligent design has become a catchphrase, whether this is what the researchers within the field mean by it or not, it's become a catchphrase that people will use to talk about any view that can vaguely 
equate God and some kind of scientific view of looking at the universe. That is to say, there are a lot of people who in the past might have been referred to as theistic evolutionist, which to some people is is not considered a, a an ideal term, is, is, is a questionable term. Um, and they might say, well, I believe there's an intelligent designer to the world. Whether they mean by that the same thing theologically, the same thing philosophically, as what some of the arguments put forward uh, by the fellows of the Discovery Institute mean, I think is something that we would need to dig a little bit deeper into. Uh, my own research particularly has been on the history of natural theology in the 19th century. And uh, if you're familiar, if your viewers and listeners are familiar with kind of the standard story of debates about Darwin and design, they are probably familiar with the debates about William Paley and the story of the watchmaker. The idea that if one were to find a watch randomly out in a field somewhere and examine the watch, one would use that watch to infer that there was in fact a maker behind that watch, that something had intentionally put the pieces of that watch together for a reason. And uh, one of the things that, I, that I've spelled out in my research, and which we talk a little bit about in the new book, is the fact that natural theological arguments have in some ways been horribly maligned and, and sort of misrepresented throughout the past 200 years. Uh, most famously, of course, uh, one of the new atheists, Richard Dawkins, wrote a book called The Blind Watchmaker, in which he claimed a watch could essentially come about without any intelligent designer whatsoever. Um, I think that's based on a misreading of what Paley's argument philosophically and theologically is trying to do. But I do think that some of the early writing in the intelligent design movement, while disagreeing with Dawkins, um, accepted the framework that he laid out and decided that the question was uh, essentially could some complex uh, mechanism in biology or elsewhere in nature come about through non-intelligent agency. The question of origins being the central question is something that is not historically always been the case. Um, and so for me, I think that the, the real groundwork is to say, what are the, what are the aims and goals? You, you asked the question, is the intelligent design movement in advance or in retreat? I think that's separate from asking the question about whether intelligent design as a concept is in advance or in retreat. Um, but I think it also requires the sort of clarification between intelligent design as, say, the group of contributors to Casey's new book um, would have it, and the intelligent design that's getting talked about by school boards and on internet chat rooms, uh, which sometimes is easily conflated with other forms of creationism, uh, with theistic evolution, and really with anything that just rejects mm. atheism. Well, thank outright. you um, for, for that perspective. I mean, Casey, did you want to add anything sort of on the back of Adam's sort of hel helpful kind of distinctions of the different sort of ways in which intelligent design is, is sometimes thought about? Well, I, I want to say I, I agree very much with Adam that there is certainly more than one view out there than just intelligent design and atheistic evolution. I mean, the ID uh, movement published a thousand-page book in 2017 titled 
Theistic Evolution, a Scientific, Philosophical, and Theological Critique, which discusses those who believe that God used purely evolutionary mechanisms to create life. Sometimes they call themselves evolutionary creationists. I'm not sure if that's a great term, but um, it's certainly a view that, that's out there. I think that where intelligent design would be distinguished from that view is that the theistic evolution or evolutionary creation camp, often represented by the folks at BioLogos, they don't think that we can scientifically detect design in nature. Either we cannot detect it or we have not detected it. Whereas intelligent design proponents, I mean, this is not a theological view. This is an argument that we're making based upon science to show that we think that you can make a case from the scientific evidence that there is design in nature, both in biology and in physics and cosmology. And it's important to understand that within the intelligent design movement, there are people with a variety of different theological beliefs and backgrounds. Um, there are some folks who call themselves atheists. In fact, you want to talk about more high-level converts to intelligent design. Uh, New York University philosopher and legal scholar um, Thomas Nagel, a very well-known atheist, published a book, Mind and Cosmos, with Oxford University Press in 2012, where he defended intelligent design. He said that intelligent design arguments have merit, that they've stimulated his thinking, and that we don't deserve a lot of the abuse that we get in the intelligent design movement. And it's, a, it's a very fun book to read. Um, and there are other folks who would call themselves atheists who find that ID arguments have merit. So clearly, intelligent design is not united by some theological premise about, you know, how to reconcile faith and science or how to interpret Genesis or even who the designer is. It's, it's united by a conviction that there is scientific evidence for design in nature. And we can talk more about school boards if you want. Uh, we might get into that. Uh, a big part of my job at Discovery Institute since 2005 has been to advise school boards on what to teach. And Discovery Institute actually has, has long, even before Dover, told uh, school boards in the United States, when public schools come to us, that we do not think that intelligent design should be pushed into, into public schools because our priority is to see it grow and develop as a science, not to see it become a political hot potato. The Dover case, that Dover school board rejected our advice. We can talk about that more if we want. But that's. Sure. But I do agree with Adam very much. There's a lot more than just ID and atheistic evolution. Yeah, it's a very complicated I, issue. And, and Adam, coming back to you on that, I, I, in a sense, that's interesting that Casey says, actually, as far as he's concerned, they're really not that interested in a kind of theo theology necessarily. There's a variety of theological perspectives in their camp. It's, it is about the science. Now, do you agree with that? Or do you think it's, it's kind of has always intrinsically been sort of, you know, related to a kind of theological or religious perspective? I don't know if I would say intrinsically, but I think that if we look at the historical context, or again, remember the question of looking at sort of the question of not just the ideas themselves, but who's using these ideas, who's advocating these ideas, um, and who's being affected by those ideas. Um, there's no question that the claims of intelligent design being a legitimate scientific alternative to a Darwinian model of evolution has been used by, and, and I think Casey would say misused in the case of, say, Dover, uh, by school boards who saw this as an opportunity to uh, effectively bring religion into a school curriculum in, in a particular way. Um, but I think at the same time, I'm actually very interested in the question about whether it makes sense for various religious groups to uh, appreciate these arguments the way that Casey is laying them out. Um, you know, Casey just pointed out that, that there are people within the intelligent design movement uh, who come from different theological backgrounds. Um, and there are certainly critics from 
Christian and other religious perspectives of the intelligent design movement who basically are pointing to that fact and saying that this is from a theological perspective, unsatisfactory. There was uh, just an article this week from Answers in Genesis, uh, the Young Earth Creationist Group headquartered here in the United States, um, basically arguing that one of the real problems that they saw with intelligent design is that even if one proves that there is this supernatural designer or that there are instances in which something was created by a process of supernatural design, that the way that that has been detected or argued for does not allow for further speculation or inquiry or philosophical reasoning to be built upon it that can tell you anything about the idea that that intelligent designer is mm -hmm. God, is a specific kind of God with specific moral or eth or or Christological or mm -hmm. eschatological uh, concerns. Um, so from a theological perspective, uh, and this is something I think that we see going back to the natural theology movement from the 1800s, um, the question has never ever been proving the mere existence of something, but proving the existence of something in a way that you can do something useful with. Um, I don't know that you know, I, I understand that in the interest of intelligent of the intelligent design movement to focus on sort of maintaining an identity as a science, it in some ways shies away from these theological questions, but it's quite clear that sure. at least some of the people within this movement yeah. have been very explicit about their theological commitments and about, and as you said, Casey, in this new book, trying to show how intelligent design can be reconciled with scripture, how it can be reconciled with various other aspects yeah. of well, let, let me come back to to, to that casey i'm, I'm going to just go to a, a break and we'll, we'll be back in just one second and I'll, I'll i'll give you an opportunity to respond to that but we're talking we're talking about intelligent design it's been a little while since we've we've um talked about this on unbelievable but we're asking a sort of big question is it on the advance or in retreat um there were it was interesting and i'll tell you a story when I, we come back from the break about why why i thought this was an interesting way of putting it framing the question uh, uh because I, I i approached a number of people um uh, including yourself adam i was very glad that you said yes because a number of people said no and i'll, I'll tell you why <laughs> to, to having this conversation in a moment's time but um we'll be back in just a moment here on the show that aims to get you thinking and uh, my guest today adam shapiro and casey luskin Welcome back to the show. We're asking today, is the intelligent design movement on the advance or in retreat? Casey Luskin from the uh, Discovery Institute joins us. He's the editor of a new book, The Comprehensive Guide to Science and Faith. Uh, Adam Shapiro also, who's a historian of science and religion uh, and also the uh, co-author of a new edition of Science and Religion, A Very Short Introduction. And just in that last segment, uh, Adam was really saying, Casey, that, uh, you know, broadly speaking, yes, that there has traditionally been theological kind of motivations perhaps behind intelligent design though he obviously says that may not be the case across the board um it it, it tends to express itself differently um so yeah where, where do you go with this and 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 i, I did promise to, to to tell a little story which is um i i i i did approach some other folk um before finding adam who i think is, is a great representative for this discussion but a lot of the 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 pushback i had was along the lines of you know this this debate's been done it's dead you know we've all moved on uh dover kitzmiller was a long time ago 
um you're, you're they're beating a dead horse these intelligent design theorists at this point um and yet when i hear you casey saying there's converts there's an ever more increasing information you know of the complexity and the specified information everything i hear a very different story so um yeah that, i i kind of want to dig into that as well why why you know i i, I why, why we're hearing such different things from from different people um when it comes to intelligent design but but feel free to first of all respond to what adam had to say and then perhaps you could pick up on my my question sure sure and i, I think rumors of id's death have been greatly exaggerated we've been declared dead so many times that i mean i don't know coroners must be very busy because we're constantly uh being told that we're dead uh but yet we, we're still here and in fact we're growing and we'll talk more i'm i'm drooling to talk about that so we'll <laughs> we'll get into that but um so yeah i mean adam highlights an interesting point that really shows that ID is different from creationism. There are major creationist groups that don't like intelligent design because it does not address certain theological questions that are very important to them, such as saying that the designer is the God of the Bible or, you know, how to interpret Genesis. But does that mean that intelligent design should not appeal to Christians? Well, look, I'm a Christian. I mean, the, the comprehensive guide to science and faith comes at this from a, from a Christian perspective in many of the chapters. Um, I never try to hide the fact I'm a Christian. In fact, I, I make it a point to make it clear that I'm a Christian, whether I'm speaking to religious or secular audiences. So across the board, ID proponents, whether they are Christians or Jews or Muslims or agnostics or Hindus or atheists, and we got all of them in our movement, across the board, we're very open about where we're coming from. There's no secrets about our own personal convictions. But I always make it clear that my my personal view that the God of the Bible is the designer is something that I hold for uh, religious reasons that are outside the scope of intelligent design. Intelligent design, however, is still of great interest to people of faith or not of faith. Anyone who wants to answer the timeless question of is there evidence that the universe is the result of unguided material causes, or is there evidence that it is the result of purposeful and intelligent design? Uh, the atheist psychologist Michael Shermer, in his book Why We Believe, uh, cites a survey which said that uh, arguments over whether there is design in nature is one of the number one reasons why people are either skeptics or religious, okay? So wherever you're coming from, this topic of intelligent design should be of interest to you. And so I would say, look, the arguments for design have a scientific basis. There are no religious premises in the arguments that I gave you in that first segment uh, explaining the arguments for and the evidence for intelligent design in brief outline. It's a strictly scientific argument. Um, however, certainly scientific arguments can have religious implications. Um, people would say that Darwinism has had religious implications, or the Big Bang has had... I mean, there are many scientific theories that have been said to have religious implications. Many people take the idea that there is a designer behind life in the universe to be epistemically... Uh, friendly towards theism. If you want to take a Bayesian approach, you know, the idea that there's design in nature is more probable on theism than it is under atheism, okay? So we can make an argument like that. But, I mean, as far as intelligent design goes, I understand that a lot of Christians, or, or in particular some young earth creationists, feel like it doesn't go far enough as far as making a case for the God of the Bible. Well, I agree with that. I mean, as a Christian, intelligent design is what it is. It was never meant to be a full-blown apologetic argument for Christ dying on the cross for your sins. It was meant to be a scientific argument that there is design in nature, and in doing so, it addresses a very important worldview question that every single human being has to answer for themselves. Is there design in the universe or not? Okay, and so I think that ideas of great value, even if it doesn't go so far as to address, you know, who is the designer, mm. and we can address 
those questions, by the way, through other apologetic arguments from history and philosophy and theology. I mean, there's, if you want to, you know, make a case for God being the creator, you can go outside of intelligent design and get into other topics. I'm not saying you can't do that. Of course, those are important things to do, but that's not what intelligent design does. It's a, it's a yeah. scientific case for intelligent design. I, I didn't get into the more how ideas advancing. We'll have to do that. Well, well, we'll come back to that. We will yeah. come back to that. That was the Discovery Institute's Casey Luskin debating Adam Shapiro, hosted by Justin Brierley on the Unbelievable program at Premier Christian Radio in Britain. We thank them for permission to use this material, and we invite you to stay tuned for the second half of it coming soon. Let your friends know, too, as the evidence for ID's health and advance in science keeps on accumulating in their conversation as they talk. For ID the Future, I'm Tom Gilson. Thank you for listening. Visit us at idthefuture.com and intelligentdesign.org. This program is Copyright Discovery Institute and recorded by its Center for Science and Culture.